Hello, beautiful alchemist. Welcome to Reiki Radio. I am your host, Yolanda, and we are getting towards the end of season 10. Um, We've had so many amazing conversations, interviews this season, and there are still plenty more to come. Um, I'm going to tell you all about today's guest, but first of all, I want you to know that we have... um, Gosh, just so much. I can't even go through the list to tell you now, but stay tuned. If you are new to the community, welcome. Be sure that you subscribe and follow Reiki Radio Podcast on your favorite um, podcast platform. You can also leave us a review, which is great because it helps other practitioners find the show. And if you prefer watching the videos um, or the interviews, you can watch on YouTube, subscribe to the channel Reiki Radio, or you can even watch through the app. So just to tell you right now, if you haven't downloaded it yet, you can download the Energetic Alchemist app. There is a lot of free content there for you, but there is also an uh, Awaken Your Inner Alchemist membership where you can access bonus content that includes Reiki tools, uh, tools for energetic alchemy, daily oracle card readings. Uh, There's just so much content there, but just go to the Apple App Store or Google Play for Androids and put in the search The Energetic Alchemist and download the app today. So today we are having a conversation with someone who has become a friend. (laughs) One of the most beautiful things about um, the podcast over the years is that I have had, you know, the opportunity to meet some phenomenal healers, teachers, and authors. And when I started the podcast back in 2013, I never would have imagined that it would become what it has become. And thankfully, again, there have been so many people who have come on the podcast to share with all of us so that we could all learn and um, come to understand different philosophies and modalities and alternate ways of working with energy and understanding energetic alchemy. Well, today's guest, her name is Angie Cho, and you will remember her from um, the Mindful Mindful Design Feng Shui School. Uh, She and her partner, Laura, they have that business together. And they came on a few years ago to help us understand more about Feng Shui. And then they came on more recently to help us understand the energy of the Lunar New Year, which this year is the year of the rabbit. If you missed those episodes, they're in the archives. But Angie also recently wrote a book, another book called Mindful Homes, Create Healing Living Spaces with Mindfulness and Feng Shui. But here's the thing. When she told me about the book, I was really excited Um, to get the book and to read it just because of getting to know her. She has a beautiful way of explaining feng shui. And the truth of the matter is a lot of us have an idea of what it is. You hear feng shui, you may just think about how energy moves through spaces or how we arrange our furniture, or if we put different elements in different corners of the home. And while some of these things are part of it, this book and this conversation with Angie is a whole other level. So the thing that got me really excited about this, reading the book before we spoke, 
this is like another lens of just energy work in general. So if you are someone who is a practitioner of energy work, um, whether it's Reiki or some other modality, um, anyone who is interested in just our relationship to being energetic, but also being surrounded by everything that is energetic. I mean, everything has a frequency. Everything has an energetic resonance. And in this book, she really goes into some beautiful detail in helping us to understand the energy of space itself. And I'm not talking just decor, but like the energy that is surrounding you right now, the energy that you're sitting in right now, whether you're in a home, you're outside walking, you're driving your car, you are sitting in some type of energy. And so she helps us to really recognize and consciously um, consider the nature of the energy that is surrounding us, but also our relationship to that, as well as our energy. And then going deeper into, you know, various aspects of feng shui, we then have a clear picture and understanding about our relationship to environment, much deeper than any other conversation I've ever heard or had about feng shui. And I've had quite a few here on the podcast. And so I I just was very excited about this book. And if you're watching the video, you can see there are beautiful images in this book. You will learn a lot about energy itself in this book. And you'll also learn a bit about what you, what type of environments you are attracted to or feel comfortable in and what that may even say about you. She also gives us these beautiful tips of how to um, come into energetic co-resonance with different areas of the home where it's not overwhelming. So what I mean by that is, you know, if someone said to me like, oh, is my house, you know, like um, designed in a way that is feng shui friendly, it would really seem overwhelming to me, quite honestly, because I'm not that familiar with feng shui as a whole. But what Angie shares today, there are some tips and things that you can do today that are very simple that will help you with coming into relationship with the energy of your home. And again, helping you recognize your overall relationship to energy, period. So this book is called Mindful Homes. There is a link to purchase the book. It's brand new, just came out. Um, you can get that below. So I want to tell you a little bit about Angie, though. Angie is a creator of holistic spaces, specifically focused on designing interiors and teaching feng shui and meditation. She's guided thousands of people to harmonize their living spaces through the ancient practice of feng shui. Angie is the feng shui expert at the Spruce. She's also co-founder of Mindful Design Feng Shui School and co-host of the Holistic Spaces podcast and owner of Angie Cho Architect. So again, the links for everything to connect with Angie are down below in the show description. She's also the author of two books. The one, her first one was called Holistic Spaces. And now we have this one, Mindful Homes, which is going to teach you way more than you could imagine. So I'm sure you will really get a lot from this conversation. Um, if you're not driving and it's safe to do so, 
I would even recommend grabbing something to write with because she gives us a lot of cool tips in this conversation. So I will see you on the other side. Bye for now. Okay, everyone, we are here with the beautiful Angie Cho of Mindful Design Feng Shui School, but also now the author of Mindful Homes. Um, Angie, I told you before we recorded, I am so excited to have this conversation. I am so excited too. I, I'm I'm really honored that you're um, that you even looked at my book and then that you're you, you're um, interviewing me for, about it on your podcast. Thank you so much. Well, this is the thing. And I have to, it, your book was mind blowing to me, first of all. And it's so beautiful. I just want to say even just the images and everything alone is so beautiful. But I think that a lot of us, myself included, when we hear feng shui, we tend to just think like, oh, the way furniture is arranged in the house, but your book taps into so much more. And I think people will be very surprised if they're not that familiar with the depth of feng shui. Um, So that's why I have a million questions for you. (laughs) But I wanted to start with... um, just even your connection to feng shui and the practice. I know you speak a little bit about it in the book and even your connection with feng shui and Buddhist philosophy and meditation, but how did this become a passion of yours? Well, it's interesting. You know, I grew up in an Asian household in a Korean American household. My parents were from Korea and as the stereotypes go, they were very much about um, us having a good, secure job when we when we grew up. So although I wanted to be an artist, my parents heard that and they said, oh, that means you're going to be an architect. <laughs> <laughs> and so, of course, I mean, that's not on, that's not only on them. That's on me as well, because I. I do also need that security and I made those decisions. I made those decisions, but um, I always loved working with art and my spaces. And I remember like begging my parents to um, help them renovate their bathroom and pick out the tile and, and also always rearranging my room. So I always knew there was a deep connection to your home and how that makes you feel like, even if like, there was like a fight or someone was upset or I was scared, I would go into my room and that was a big, um, that was a really important space for me to feel safe and secure. So I always knew there was this connection. And then I went on to become an architect and um, I actually had a Reiki session during my Saturn return. And I I didn't even know what Reiki was. I was traveling in Thailand and this um, Reiki practitioner approached us and offered a session. And my friend was like, yeah, let's do it. So we did it. And I cried the whole time and so much opened up. Then I'm like, I'm going to cry it out. It was like such an emotional experience. And I was so unhappy at that time. So 
I realized after that Reiki session, which um, was really a life epiphany, I realized I needed to come back to New York, change my life. And I started studying meditation and yoga. And then I realized, you know, how do I um, integrate this into what I do? Like what I do like for most of my waking hours, right? And uh, so then I started studying feng shui and I was so grateful to see how it was more than just moving furniture around, but there was such a depth to it. And then it also helped me reconnect to my my Asian heritage. That was, there was a disconnect there also, you know, because my, my parents immigrated here and wanted us to be very good American, good Americans that uh, had good jobs and didn't, you know, they didn't really um plays a great emphasis on on asian culture so it was a way for me to actually start to embrace asian culture in a different way and and also like with the buddhist aspect like um i remember my mom saying you know when i started studying feng shui she's like you know we don't believe in feng shui that's like buddhism and it's very old fashioned like hocus pocus stuff and then um, a few years later, she's like, okay, so Angie, we're cutting down a tree. What should we do? <laughs> <laughs> so um, so it's funny how that, that works. But um, I think also like my whole, like after that Reiki session, I just, a whole part of my heart broke open and I um, really had to shift things. And so meditation and feng shui just came hand in hand to really begin to um, see my world in a different way with a different, with a language that made sense to me. Yeah, no, it's really beautiful. And it's amazing seeing like the emotion that comes up around that now. It's, it's always fascinating to me, those moments that are so life changing for us and so unexpected. Yeah. But with um, reading your book, I mean, it really also, it's one of those things that I think will give a lot of people new perspective on the importance of being in relationship to our environment, not just our home, but just just all the spaces that we occupy and um, having even more understanding around that. So, I mean, there was just so much in this book that really blew my mind. Um, one of the things that came up, I want to ask you before we go too deep into the book, is when I was... Before I even opened it or started reading it, I thought, I wonder if our personality plays a part in, because you know how some people like very heavy, dense kind of furniture and like their spaces are tight and kind of cozy. And then you have people that like it very open air and, you know, kind of minimalist. D does that play a part in feng shui in terms of our personal need or feeling for our space or do we benefit more for having a balance between the two does that make sense yeah that makes sense it's yes and which is also okay. part of that asian philosophy it's like yes and it could be a different a little bit different or or it could be yes and slash or so yes in some cases it's very like um, maybe uh, equal, like someone who um, 
maybe someone who's heavy in their personality or in their body. Because you sometimes see people that are heavy in their body are also heavy with their emotions and also maybe heavy in terms of like the like they they have a lot of weight their heart there's there's um a lot of inertia like mm-hmm. and then you can also sometimes see that reflected in their homes because that's what they're accustomed to and that's what they're they feel safe with because like when I think of heaviness that trans in in a home it translates to wanting security wanting stability and yes you can see that translating literally but sometimes you see people um, manifesting the opposite because they want to rebel against it or they they have um, or maybe they've grown up with some things accustomed in a uh, accustomed to a certain things in a certain way and so they think that that's safe so it's it runs a gamut sometimes it is like a literal like heavy and heavy or light and light or sometimes it's because they're heavy they want light but but I think the important thing is to notice that there is a connection like when we say something is heavy it could be an energetic heavy it could be a physical heavy it could be a visual heavy and it's inclusive of all of these different ways that energy manifests it's not just like what it's all of our senses right yeah because I was thinking because I I envision in my mind I have this desire for open airy spaces Mm -hmm. but when I was thinking about it I was like I tend to create cozy tight spaces and I'm like well why do I do that if really in my mind I love the idea of like these free open beautiful spaces (laughs) so I was like I have to ask Andy about how does that that happen how do you know that you you like those like when you see pictures of them or something or when you go visit them you like them Yeah, well, see, and that's the thing. When I see it in images, it feels nice. It feels like, oh, you can breathe and it's light and it's beautiful. But then when I'm in those spaces, oftentimes I feel like it's not cozy. Mm -hmm. And so there's something about that that's uncomfortable. So I notice I tend to, yeah, create spaces that I just feel kind of held in. Yeah, but. And that could tell you, like, maybe there's some part of you that thinks that aspires to being, you th- You think you need to be more open and airy, but really right. what you're, you're, it's good that you listen to, to what actually, what you actually create a need that feels nurturing. And, you know, that kind of ties into the part of my book where I, I have people visualize, um, like the different elements. Yes. Like, and, you know, the way like a listener can do it right now is like, like, or what you could do right now is Yolanda, if you could go anywhere right now, like someone would buy you a vacation anywhere, like, where would you go? That's so funny. Cause like, I want to say like, Oh, Hawaii. No. But the first thing that came to mind is like the top of a mountain surrounded by trees. <laughs> so I could just... Yeah. Well, why do you want to say like Hawaii though? Because it seems like, because one, I like warm and it seems like that's, you know, that's where you should want to go. Like, ooh, tropical. Yeah. But the truth is, yeah, I do. A lot of times, even that, I fantasize of like, I would love to be in a cabin just surrounded by trees and just air. Something about just fresh air and silence. 
Yeah. Well, and mm-hmm. also the thing is like sometimes like we need that maybe sometimes we do need that spaciousness yeah. and and we only need like a small dose of that. And then we and maybe a few years later or a few moments later, we need a different energy. But like, for instance, I just planned this. I just had a vacation in Florida in the Keys. And I was like, OK, it's going to be really nice be on the water. I got a place on the water with a view of the water so I could just stay. Not, I didn't have to go anywhere. Yeah. And I was there and I'm like, uh, so boring. It's too hot. <laughs> I'm like, get me out of here. I want to go back to New York where it's like, you know, busy, 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 like fast, fast, fast. But I was like, like, what? Am I, there's nothing to do here. I'm like completely bored. In, well, in- it's so funny you say that because of, again, like the different moods that we have and the energy of things. And that was one of the things about your book like just from the beginning going in, first of all, I want everyone to know just the titles of the chapters. I was like, oh, that's going to be interesting. Like, oh, I can't wait to see what that part is about. But you really do bring in a lot of emphasis on our relationship to key. You even talk about, you know, the unseen key, but you give exercises just similar to even what you spoke about that bring us into relationship with like just having an awareness of energy in a way that we may not consciously think about. Like I even love the exercise of um, walking through the house and noticing what it feels like as you move through it. But could you talk a little bit about that? Like help us have some understanding around the movement of energy and how that's so vital in the spaces that we create. Yeah. And for the listeners, I know a lot of your listeners know ki as yeah. but that's, uh, uh, that's a Japanese way of saying chi. And in, in Chinese, we say chi. And then in, um, but in other disciplines like yoga, it would be like prana, um, but the breath of life, like our life force energy. So chi is, or chi or ki the mo- is the most important thing in feng shui. And one really um, unique way that I, I didn't, I don't know if I put it in my book, but now it's going to, I've decided I'm really going to explore this next is something that one of my teachers, my flower teacher, my Ikebana teacher says a lot. Which, and Ikebana is a Japanese flower arranging style. And, and it's not just a style. It's like a practice. It's a, it's a dough. It's like um, a way it's a, it's a meditation in action and it's a lifelong practice. And he says, you're not just arranging the flowers, you're arranging the space. So similarly with feng shui, you're not just arranging the furniture. It's actually more of an emphasis on how are you shaping the, the chi around your home and the chi in the spaces that surround you, which is the same as the chi that's within you, that flows within you. And that she also flows within all of the objects and animals and people and and things around us. So um, it's so easy to want to fill up our spaces, whether it's filling up, um, like a lot of people ask me, so I have this corner and there's nothing here. What do I do with it? But sometimes it's okay to have nothing there, right? Right. 
uh, or that would be like the spatial way of doing it. But then also um, people want, want to fill up a space in, if they feel hungry or a little bit empty, they want to fill up a space by eating something instead of just eating to 80% full. If there's a pause in conversation, we immediately fill it up with an um or a, some blah, 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 right? If there's um, a pause, like any kind of like pause in our life, like when I was on vacation, I was like, oh my gosh, there's nothing to do. I immediately like, I am I start planning. I'm like, okay, what can we have for breakfast? What can we do that? You know, we, <laughs> we have this tendency to want to fill up space. So, so feng shui is really a practice of seeing holistically in all ways of our life, like how we create um, chi that, how do we cultivate the chi? Do we allow it to flow? Do we allow ourselves to be flexible? Do we stay stagnant? Because when we are inflexible and stuck and the chi is not flowing, then there's no life. We're dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That reminds me of in your book, how you even have um, rituals that we can do in connection with the house. Um, you have morning rituals in there. There's so much, again, I, I just, I, I feel like I can't emphasize enough for people how much they will learn just about energy alone in your book. But one of the things aside from just this, just like the feeling of the space is you also talk about um, the different areas of the home and how they are really reflective of even different areas of our life. So there were a couple I wanted to ask you about specifically because I know we only have an hour together, but I really wanted to talk to you about, you have a chapter called Meet Your Heart and it's all about the bedroom. And I was thinking about when you just said earlier about going to your room to retreat and you know that being your space, and that tends to be, I, I maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm making this up, but it seems like we tend to have a different relationship with communal spaces in the home. Like, what will people see in my living room? But then my bedroom is like, you know, it's like more of like my identity, like maybe more true in some way. I don't know. But um but could you talk a little bit about that? Like even our relationship to these different areas and how they do reflect some aspect of ourselves. Yeah. I I love that you just said that, like that um, you, the public spaces or the more communal spaces, you've noticed that you, there is a little bit of a concern about what people will see because that's the most outward. And that's why I, named that chapter like meeting your heart in the bedroom and and there's always there's definitely exceptions there are people that maybe are like really self-focused and they do focus more in the bedroom but in but a lot of times especially maybe the people that I end up working with and um it tends to be this is common with women is that it's much easier to spend your energy, your money, and your time on making the communal areas beautiful. Like I had one client who's actually a very good friend now. She 
worked on everything, the guest rooms, everything. And only like after we worked together for many years, had been friends for many years, did she find, was she finally ready to work on herself? And so she's like, okay, I'm going to make my bedroom nice. Her bedroom was like completely like, like was not attended to. It was cozy though. She made it cozy, comfortable. And, and that's, there's no like judgments here. It's not like you should work, work on your bedroom or you shouldn't work on your outside places, but it's more like noticing how this, what this, what this tells you about where you are in your life. So like I say, like to most people, like your bedroom is your most personal space because if I came over to your house, Yolanda, you wouldn't be like, okay, let's straight, let's go straight to the bedroom. <laughs> but right. there may be someone who you, if you're your partner or if you're dating someone or something, then maybe you would say, let's go straight to the bedroom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, most people don't get to see that. It's only you and your partner if you have one. And it's, so it's very close to your heart. I'm like, where do you go when you're sick? Where do you go to rest and like, and sleep in an, you're in an unconscious state, state, like, where do you feel the most cozy? And I think about like, I love my bed. I like, I just, I just imagine like, it's like laying in there and it's very cozy and supportive. So it's, it's really the closest area to you. And then of course, like the outside areas are like more public. So, so it does tell you about like, okay, this is the area where it's, further out like if we think about concentric circles like your bedroom is like the center like your heart and then you move out to things that are more um more seen by others and even like the the walls of your home relate to your skin so it's almost like the outside of your home is like your your face your skin to the world you know it's so funny too hearing you say this I think about there are certain people in my life who I know they tend to live more in the communal spaces of their home. Like they're always in the living room or they're always, you know, usually that's just where they like to be. Whereas me and thinking about it really mostly everyone in my family, like we're in our bedrooms <laughs> and we really don't come out to the living room unless there's company. Like why? It almost feels like, why would I be in that part? I, I always like to keep that space almost untouched. I really don't feel like, it's not my space. Like I really, truly, if I'm at home, I'm either in my office or my bedroom. I don't, I I just don't ever want to be in the living room. <laughs> I'm the same too. But I think like, since my, like my area is like my, my bedroom and my living room, my husband actually spends a lot of time in the living room. Yeah. Yeah. And in his but, office and in the so kitchen. Interesting. Yeah. 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 But he love he also likes to watch TV a lot and I don't watch any TV. Yeah. Yeah. But it is even that cozy aspect that you talked about that I'm like, wow, actually. So another thing, though, that was in your book that I thought was interesting. And I think about how we don't, we don't tend to research things like we hear about things and we just go with the surface level of like, okay, yes, I've heard of feng shui and furniture. I don't know how I decorate the room, right. But even just the simple thing of in your book, breaking down that feng shui relates to wind and water it made me pause and go like wait those are the two like very vital aspects of our life force which again makes sense that it points to chi and all of these things but then you also bring in that element of mindfulness and the attention and it made me even think about um just 
our presence because it, even unconsciously, if we're not paying attention to, like, we might not walk in the house and be thinking or mindful of how I feel when I come home, that the environment is having, we're in relationship with it, whether we're consciously aware of it or not, right? So I wanted to know if you could share a little bit about that, about this um, wind and water and why that's even important. Well, I love that it's wind and water, uh, be, like what you said, because it points to the fact that we, you know, we cannot thrive with without um, breath, which is wind, and water, which is hydration. And then there's also these other uh, levels of meaning to wind. Wind is um, movement; it's change. It's again that flexibility, and without movement where and without flexibility we are essentially there's no life there so it's it's dead and so that's one important aspect of feng shui and then shui so feng is wind and shui is water and then the water aspect not only like do we need this hydration but it again it it points to that flow when, when you have a cup of water that's been sitting stagnant for a week, nobody wants to drink that. That's no longer healthy. Like it no longer has life force. But if you have water that's constantly flowing, it purifies itself, right? So it it's a big reminder that we need to constantly be flexible and moving in our lives. And that does include, that does include being still as well. Um, and, uh, wait, what were you, there was, I forgot the part of the question I was going to answer. Um, do you remember, could you just how, yeah, I don't, just how the wind and water like really points to the emphasis of the importance of it, significance of it in feng shui. Oh yes. And also like how that, um, well, there was something that you said that I wanted to elaborate on too, that how sometimes we get very stagnant with our view and our relationship of our home. And that's where, where the mindfulness aspect comes in. So it's very easy to take our home for granted mm. because we kind of sometimes move through our, through our home on autopilot and don't even look very carefully at it. Right. And, and you said like, whether we like it or not, it affects us so like one very, I think, straightforward illustration of this is I talk about like with your bed to think about what you have under your bed. And sometimes people say, well, it doesn't matter what I have under my bed. <laughs> but from the feng shui perspective, it does matter what you have in, under your bed. Ideally, you want to have the air flowing under you so the chi can circulate around you and nourish you while you're sleeping and you're ideally you don't want any storage under the bed if you have to have storage you want to have sleep related soft items like linens and pillows because you're sleeping over it so the all the other side of it is sometimes people have very like active items let's say like books or shoes or luggage <laughs> or at the most extreme, maybe they have like um, weapons or they have like really emotionally charged items like a box of 
letters from your ex that you're still not over yet, right? Mm -hmm. So for those naysayers with with feng shui, it's like, well, okay, you've you're holding onto this box of stuff because you've or you're already you'll we're in agreement that this is a very important box to you, right? And it's very emotionally charged. So you're already admitting that it has a lot of chi. It has a lot of energy. And then it's, and it's also maybe like, it doesn't have to be necessarily positive or negative. It's just very active, right? So no judgments there. Because even shoes, like running shoes could be very active as well, right? Right. And you, but you're sleeping over it. But the purpose of the bed is to rest, is to not have like these super young, like um, emotionally charged active things. And so by sleeping over them, that energy is vibrating underneath you. And then you're sleeping in a subconscious yin state, you're absorbing everything. So, so there's so many places in our life that we don't recognize like, that the, that the chi is affecting us. And, and it's, when you think about it, you're like, oh, that's common sense. That makes sense. Yes. But we, but we're not like, we just kind of like have become so, um, conditioned to, to not acknowledge the, um, importance of our environment. Like we just like, you know, we just let it be and, and take it for granted, which is, um, you know, one good thing that came out of the global pandemic was that people were stuck at home so then they really started to see, oh, wait, like, maybe I should pay attention to my home who's been your silent partner supporting you like Mother Earth. It's part of your the earth, your home, and she's always there. She, the floor is not going to fall through. She's always there to support you. I love that. And I'm so glad that you brought up the aspect of um, the bed in the bedroom one, because I'm like, oh, I got to see what's under the bed. That does make all the sense. So as you were saying it, I was like, oh, of course, right? Um, but another part of the book that I um, thought was so interesting and I got excited about, because for me, I'm one of those people that think like, oh, decor, I have no idea. Like if I, I see images, I know what I like, but I'm not the person that could go to a store and be like, this is going to look great over there. And that is going to, I don't have, I, I don't. I can't, right? But once the stuff is in place, I know what I like in terms of the feeling of placement. But in any case, the idea of feng shui for me is, um, it's intimidating, right? Because then I'm thinking whole house, whole area. But in the book, because you do go through different sections, it made it feel more um, possible to work with the different energy of different spaces but you had very specifically how you could use the bagua map which this I appreciate that you sent to me um, during new year the bagua map using it over the bed and I got very excited about that I have to tell you <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> today so could you share with everyone a little bit what a Bagua map is and how if someone similar to me is like a little intimidated by the entire space, how mm -hmm. we can use something like this just starting small, like with the bed? Yeah, so the Bagua map is um, 
it's really a mandala and more and more people understand what that means now. So a mandala is kind of, uh, there's a center and there, and it radiates out. And, and in this case, it's like a, uh, octagon, which is like, let's say eight slices of a pie. Now, like the, the, the visual you showed and that I have in my book is a three by three grid, but it's the same thing. It's still a center with um, radiating out. It's just another way to visualize that kind of directionality of eight directions, which also corresponds to the cardinal directions. But, and, and there's many different schools of feng shui and the feng shui school that I practice is called BTB. And we orient this bagua, this bagua mandala based on the flow of chi, which is always set on the formal front door of the space. Cause that's where the chi comes in. Like that's where people walk in. That's where um, the energy comes from. And it can also have many different nuances like a color association or, or a life association. It also has like um, a, a trigram if you're, if you're familiar with the I Ching and the trigrams also offer the layer of um, one of the five elements, a yin and yang aspect. There's It goes on and on. There's like an organ, body part. It's infinite, the list of um, associations you can make with each area. But what it's also telling you is that um, this mandala moves and it's always around us. So it can be just laid upon your like your face like when I fell so I fell recently and my business partner and my teacher the first thing that we we talked about was like where if I laid the bagua on my face where did this cut happen because that can tell us give me information to work with that this teaching of falling and cutting my face what does that have to teach me and what can I pick up from it but it's also moving and it can overlap so you can also lay it on your bed and I love that what you talked about in terms of having like feng shui be a little bit overwhelming so it is overwhelming for most people and and my intent is not to paralyze people from using this practice instead I want to teach it in a way that it's, there's an invitation to explore it and what what's an easy way to manage it and so one is that a bed is primarily square. So it's easy to divide up into these eight, these eight directions or a three by three grid. So it has a center and, and eight areas around it. And it's also everyone has primarily a, a bed that they could work with. Yeah. And, um, and also, you remember we talked about how close it is to you, like how many, hopefully we spend at least a third of our lives in bed, right? Right. So it's quite important. And in fact, because we're in an unconscious state, it's we're more susceptible to the energies of the bed. And so we don't have to make it really, we don't have to make the Bagua inaccessible and complicated. It could be something simple and effective for someone to do and trust their own intuition on. So, so it could be laid on the bed and you can activate these different areas. Did you happen to to, were you interested in any particular area for, of your bed? Well, you know, it's so funny because when I first look at the image and it was really like 
even my mind trying to accept like, wait a, wait a minute. Is she saying I can do this like over the, yes, over the bed? Because <laughs> there's an image um, in the book. And it's a good image, was, right? It was a very good image. Yeah. And the whole book is beautiful. I mean, the, the book is just so beautiful. But I really wanted to, it's one of those things where I was like, I need, I want to meditate on this and really lay this out and map it out because it's something that I would love to, you know, um, put under the bed or under the mattress, the different elements to, you know, like I want to be very intentional about it. I got excited because again, it felt like something I can actually do. Yeah. But I have to tell you the whole book in of itself made me very interested and curious about feng shui in a way that I've never been. And I was thinking, I was like, wow, Angie, this is brilliant. Because again, for anyone listening, like, yes, you will learn about feng shui. But again, I think that the understanding of what that is, you take us so much deeper into that. And with the different exercises and practices that are in the book, but you also break down the five elements and help us to have a different understanding of that. You break down yin and yang and help us to have a clear picture and understanding of that. I mean, there was just so much uh, that you illuminate. I don't know. I it, I don't even I know think, how to. Yeah, it was amazing. Because well, we have a, res- you know, really, we have a responsibility to share things in a way that people can digest them, digest right. it. And so, so I, I think also like, you know, this is my second book. My first book was written when I was, was written um, a decade ago. And I was like, okay, I'm really good at telling people what to do. So I'm going to give them <laughs> 108 ways to do this, which was, you know, good and helpful. But now it's like, a, you know, I'm older and I'm more practiced and I've meditated a lot. And I realized, you know, there's, I don't want people to think that they have to do something or if they have to fix themselves, but instead, how can you um, invite someone to just explore and, and recognize and attend to their home rather than think like judge themselves? Like, I don't like, I don't want someone to come to feng shui thinking I have like no design skills. I, you know, this is not for me and I don't understand how to do this. Well, you maybe you don't know how to do a feng shui consultation but you could start to benefit from what feng shui has taught me which are universal themes of mindfulness and being connected and um and just exploring that and not judging yourself like this is an ugly room this is a good room i'm a bad person you know whatever it is like instead just say oh be curious what can this mean what could this symbolize and then and then how can i um benefit from this and and then also how can this help me become a more compassionate person that's connected to the world that i'm glad you said that because that was one of the things i was like i have to absolutely ask her about this one from the book and even hearing everything you've shared um, in our conversation, it really also shows this aspect of how feng shui brings us into deeper relationship, even with ourselves. It's not just about, again, decorating a room or this type of thing, but the mindfulness that comes, especially with the, the practices that you share in the book. But there was a part, and I don't remember which chapter, but you mentioned 
how a lot of us even have the idea of say, oh, I want to increase abundance in my life. So what feng shui thing can I do to just bring in more money? But you gave the suggestion of rather, why don't you consider the metaphor or the relationship to like painting the door red or um, uh, the house that I lived in uh, recently, the person that lived there, they practiced some form of feng shui. I don't know what, but it was evident for how they had everything like the front door. Um, I forget what direction it faced, but it was painted blue and all of the mirrors in the house were all on like the north wall and all of Eugenia, like everything. Okay. It was very clear that they, it was very intentional. Right. But I like that you say to even consider what are the, the metaphors or what's the deeper meaning behind these things that we would do. So could you talk a little bit about that and even how you started exploring, like not just put a plant over here, but what does that really reveal? Yes, because, um, you know, uh, so being a feng shui expert, a lot of people ask me, like, they want, they just want to be told what to do in a sense. And it's like, they say, what color, what's the best color for my front door? That's Mm -hmm. the, that's like a very common question. And of course, like, if I'm going to write a blog article or something very generic, I could say, well, you know, this color is great for this. Like the general generic answer would say like, red is the most auspicious color in feng shui. It has the most chi. So in general, painting your front door red would be a good feng shui color. But it also depends, like depending on what school of feng shui you practice, you may look at the the direction your house faces. You may want to paint it a color that feeds it or supports it. Or you may have some other thing going on in your life, or maybe like you hate the color red, who knows? Like, so even if it's good to paint your color red, but you hate it and all your neighbors are mad at you or something, that's not, that's not good feng shui. So, um, well, it's not a great energy, right? So, so what I encourage people to do instead is, well, instead of just looking for a quick fix, which I think we all know, um, well, yeah, I think we can all understand that there's no magic pill, right? Like wh- whether it's a, ma- a magic pill to, uh, to when you have a headache or a magic pill to um, to solve that, whatever problem going on in your life, there it's everything is much deeper than that. And there's more things coming, um, coming to play. So instead, like, how can we look at like that door? What does red represent? When you think of red, what does it bring to you? And there's one level of like, as humans, we understand that red is alert, is very, uh, keeps us alert, right? It stands out. There's a reason why lights are red or stop, stop signs are red. It's also the color of our blood. It's our life force. And also like on a physiological level, um, it's, it's a very strong color for our light, for our light waves, for our eyes. And then, you know, someone who wears red lipstick, you know, you you know, when you wear lip, when I wear red lipstick, I'm like, wow, it stands out (laughs) or a red dress that, or a candle, like, or what is, and it's also related to fire. We, we think of red and we think of fire, right? Mm -hmm. So we have all these 
nuances and meanings that I think across the board, at least on this planet, we can all accept, right? As humans, that we all agree agree upon. It's just the nature of that color. But then there's also our own um, conditioning, right? So maybe you grew up being forced to wear red and you have your own issues. So that's another level of um, just being aware and curious how things affect you. But then like also look at the door too. Like the door represents, especially your front door represents it's a portal. It represents a mouth. It actually represents in feng shui, we say your the mouth of chi. It's where the chi comes in. But it's also, um, it's also your connection. Like there's a reason why in the English language and I'm sure in other languages we talk about, like we'll say like, this is a doorway to the next part of my life or I'm crossing a threshold um, and going through a transition. And even I went to my first bar mitzvah a few months ago, and um, it was a very reformed temple. And one of their prayers talked about, may the doors of the synagogue be wide enough to welcome all that want to seek love and friendship. And may it be narrow enough to shut out, um, you know, prejudice and hate. So we understand like how does it feel to squeeze in through a tiny door how does it feel to walk in through a huge door and so we we there's so many ways like physically um through our language visually energetically that feng shui shows up in our life yeah that's the other thing i think was so interesting about it too i say um you know you definitely crack open <laughs> this this different lens of uh, what feng shui is but you really do tap into that like helping us to have a, a broader scope of our relationship to energy not just in sensation and definitely beyond what we're unconsciously in relationship with but all of these other layers of how we are um, translating and in relationship to energy period and yeah. so that's why I was thinking, I was like, wow, this book is going to be amazing for anyone that just even wants to understand relationship to energy, quite frankly, like not even just your space, even though that is like a huge component. I think your book would help people just understand their relationship to life as it is, um, you know, relates just on an energetic level. And I also wanted to mention this because I know for the people listening, they would probably be <laughs> interested in these elements as well. You even bring in and uh, talk about the energy of crystals. And I was like, oh, I probably need a feng shui crystal for every room, especially because I tend to make everything so like <laughs> cozy. Um, you also talk about in the book space clearing and blessing objects in the home. And then the mantra water, I was like, oh, Angie covered it all. So could you <laughs> talk a little bit about like how it's not just the ooh, the commanding pieces, you also, the commanding position. Oh God, we don't have enough time, Angie. <laughs> Everyone just get the book, okay? Because I can't even ask Angie everything. But I'm thinking about like, aside from the more obvious, because we tend to, 
I think a lot of times look at the bigger pieces in our space and then, you know, fill in the spaces like you were talking about earlier, like with the smaller things. But then you bring in this understanding of every object having its own chi and its own its own significance, right? So I wanted to know if you could talk about a little bit of all of that, the crystals, the blessing of the objects, and even something coming all the way down to mantra water. Well, well, first, wait, I had a quick question for you. So wait, yeah. wait. Um, so you were talking about like, um, needing, like, you were saying that you feel like you needed a crystal for every room because it's very cozy, but I think the cozy is good. Like, that's another yeah. thing I want people to understand. It's like, like, first of all, your, your chi is so friendly and warm and also very effervescent okay. and bubbly and, and you just make me smile all the time. Oh, so you have like that coziness about you. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with like having cozy spaces. In fact, people probably prefer to hang out in cozy spaces. And and when people have very big, spacious, like empty spaces, so it usually means there's no life. There's no chi there. Like you can visualize, think about a um a coffee shop. Say we're like at walking by coffee shops in Paris and there's like all these different coffee shops you could pick between one where it's completely empty or another one that's pretty empty, but there's maybe one or two tables with like a hat on it. Right. One with a hat, one with like a cup of water. Like there's just even just a little bit gives it life. So don't worry about like having like a cozy space. It's okay. It's if it works for you, it's I think it's good feng shui okay good because I was like do I need to move something needs to no. move <laughs> well but you mean but uh no you don't maybe maybe not but also it's yeah. like about it paying attention because like my teachers taught there could be a space that's quote-unquote bad feng shui but it's good feng shui for somebody right right okay. like like a place like like that has a hidden front door may not be the best for a budding entrepreneur or someone who's starting out in the you know in their work world and wants to get promoted but it's probably perfect for like a couple that wants to retire and just or like or someone who's really busy and wants to take and needs to go home and just shut off and not be called like not to answer a million emails right yeah so there's always the chi is appropriate for someone so um so in terms of the crystals I did go over in the book like one is like crystal, like naturally occurring, occurring crystals aren't necessarily like something that was used in ancient China with feng shui, but that doesn't mean that the principles can't be applied to something like crystals. And, and it's important to acknowledge that people are very much resonating with them, I think, because we want to reconnect with the earth. And so it doesn't have to be a super expensive something or other. It could also be something that you just find that you walk outside and take a walk. If you're on, like you're going to join Yolanda on the top of a mountain surrounded by trees and walk around and, and see if there's a, a stone that calls out to you. So, so asking 
asking for permission and asking to receive some kind of wisdom and then finding like the right crystal for you. That's, that's an important way to make a decision on bringing something in your home. Right. And then also acknowledging like everything, like you said, everything in our home is alive and everything in our home has chi. And so noticing if there's things that like, maybe the only reason why we have, I know a lot of people who only have like something up, they put it up like when their mother-in-law's coming coming (laughs) to visit or something. Because they're like, oh, shoot, she's going to look for that. But also like sometimes we keep things, um, this graduate just told me how one of his clients had kept all these things from her deceased, long deceased husband, like right next to her bed. Mm. Um, And when he met with her, he kind of gave her permission to let go of it. And she, she couldn't like let go of it faster, but she ended up boss boxing it up for her children. And, and they wanted it, these mementos from her deceased husband. And then like, you know, in a way, like in a small way, allowing her to kind of let go of those emotionally charged items next to her bed. And maybe, maybe she'll be ready to meet, you know, meet that second partner in her life. So, so all of these things are so important to, to notice in our homes in that every, everything can have well, everything has energy and, and what does it mean to us? Is it helping us or supporting us? I love that you say that because I, I think some people think I'm strange and that I'm not a person that has pictures of like my family all over the walls. Like you won't see any pictures in my spaces of anybody like personal in my life. And part of it is just, well, one, I don't know. It's just not my thing, but also I just have this, like, I don't necessarily want their presence in my space. Do you know what I mean? Like, I I could love them to no end, but depending on what it is, again, it's like, I don't want that unconscious, even the nature of, like, say, our relationship, you know what I mean? Like, Like, I don't have a picture of my mom up, you know, like, I love her beyond but still, I don't want her energy like in my office space. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm very, very funny about that. I always think like, I wonder if, I mean, maybe I can find one little space to put a picture of. So I don't know, but I, I, I don't, I don't have any personal pictures up. You know, I don't either. Actually, well, I have a picture of my husband and I up on our refrigerator, but we went to this like Harry Potter exhibit thing. <laughs> And it was like uh, one of those pictures where we were, they made us pose for like we were prisoners of Azkaban or something. So yeah. it's funny. But, but you know, one thing I didn't put in my book, but kind of ties into this is they actually suggest not putting family pictures in your bedroom mm. because you don't want your like parents staring at you. Yes. Like when you're, when you're yes. having romantic <laughs> relationships and stuff. Or your kids. Um, right. So it is, it, it does, it does make sense. Yeah. I don't either. I don't, I'm not, I'm also not that sentimental um, to have pic- pictures up and like, it's not my thing either, but it's, it's important. It's kind of not important, but just interesting to see like one, make sure you have things in your space that are for you and you're not just putting it up for someone else. And then and notice, is it like, is it to keep up with the Joneses or is it to 
is it because it brings me joy when I look at it? Yeah. So it's like in my workspace, like even behind me, the pictures and any image in my workspace is because it's something that connects me to my work. Do you know, it's something that even unconsciously triggers my connection or relationship to what I do, what I practice, that type of thing. But then like in the living room, I have a picture that's very vibrant in color because when I walk by, like, I just, I want to feel like just life, like, ah, right. (laughs) So (laughs) I am, I just, I'm very funny about pictures and very selective about what I put up because I feel like those, I'm very aware of the almost like mood or relationship to pictures but now because of your book, I'm going to be even more aware of the energy and the chi of everything, like the different elements. I mean, not going crazy and, you know, yeah, drive you myself nuts about the, it. Yeah, yeah, it's easy to go down the rabbit hole. But even just looking at the imagery is so important. Like some some women who there's a lot of people who not just women, but usually it's women that um they're they're really looking for a partner. But then you go into their bedroom and there's all these images of just single women. Ah, uh, yeah. Which may have been helpful. Wait, what did you do? No, this, this is so funny you said this. So I have, um, she was a client of mine and years ago and that's all she wanted. She wanted a partner, partner, partner. And she went out and she bought this image. It was like a painting or something, but it was of a couple and she hung it over her bed. And do you know, like in a very short amount of time after hanging that over her bed, she ended up mar- uh, meeting the person that she's now married to. And we always joke that it was because of the picture she hung over her bed. It, it does, that's, it does affect things because yeah. like I had one client who she was single for a long time. And so she got, she had these like really meaningful um, pieces of art that were like strong single women. But then she actually, when we met, she was pregnant with her boyfriend's baby and she was ready to like, really just like, she's like, I now like, he's the guy. And it was time to put that painting of the single woman somewhere else. And then instead have something that represents her opening up to receiving another, receiving a true partnership and really being able to dive in to that. And it's just, it's sometimes it's so apparent, like, I had another client too, who right when you walked in, she's like, she's like, this is the picture, like everything had meaning for her, but she's like, this is a picture that I did when I was breaking up with my ex, (laughs) so like blah, blah, blah. And then, and then she had this like huge thing and on her balcony that her ex had made with her, her ex had made with her father. It was assembled on the balcony. So she couldn't, there was no way to take it out without disassembling it. And it's just like, it's so you can't make this stuff up. It's like, okay, you have like this, and it was in her um, self-worth area, her wealth area, but she had this like huge thing that met that represented her boyfriend, her ex-boyfriend that she was kind of still upset about. And like, she couldn't even, she couldn't even roll that thing out of her house. If she wanted to, she would have to ask people for help to disassemble it and it was it's so funny how it it it's sometimes it's just so obvious yeah yeah and it, again it just makes me think of the whole mindfulness aspect and how you said some things like when we really consider it it just seems like common sense like oh my gosh but we're not in consideration of it all 
I can't believe it's already been an hour, Angie. I literally, I'm like, but there's more. Um, I do want to say again, and I mean this sincerely, I think your book is a beautiful guide to helping people really come into uh, a different understanding and relationship with energy in general. Definitely opened up a curiosity and a deeper appreciation even for feng shui in a way that it just it hadn't been there before. I'm so thankful for your book. I mean, and and I appreciate that you you've written it in such a way that even with no understanding or background of it, it makes sense. You you've just simplified everything and you put it in this beautiful order, the arrangement of it all. It's like, God, this is such a beautiful book. Um, so one the book is called Mindful Homes, and the author is our beautiful guest, Angie Cho. And of course, the links for uh, getting the book and all of that will be below. But if anyone's been listening to the podcast for a while, you have been here before with your partner um, in business. You all have a feng shui school called Mindful Design Feng Shui School. And I know that enrollment for that will be opening up soon. I, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about that. But just in my own curiosity, when reading your book, I was like, oh, is this what they teach? Because again, I was like, wait, I want to go deeper with all of this. Yeah. So is is the book reflective or similar to what people learn in taking your course? Yes, but much deep, much, much, much more, much more on a deeper level. So we teach a feng shui certification program. So basically we, we teach people how to do feng shui consultations. So so everything in my book is um, part of the foundational learning, but there's much, we go in way, way, way deeper in the program. But I will say the fact that um, like, if someone does read the book, they'll see, as you've described, like I, I really place an emphasis on one's own exploration and curiosity instead of like looking for someone to, tell you what to do and instead of looking for a, a checklist or a listicle or something like to-do list this is more like an invitation to stop and find the answers within yourself within within um, a structure so similarly with our feng shui certification program we teach the foundations we teach the philosophy and then we give a structure for one to start exploring it. And then we encourage each student to practice on their own. And then they also, much of the learning happens through just experience, like watching, they watch like dozens and dozens of consultations, basically. Beautiful. So they see all the ways that um, all the different experiences, all the different floor plans, all the different people and how each person is so unique and how and how they connect with their home yeah that's beautiful okay and you do have enrollment opening um at the end of april correct well uh no it's open and the class starts at the end of april. it starts at the end of april yeah so people still have time if you want to get in register today <laughs> so that yeah. you can yeah. be in this cycle um of this class and then the book mindful homes creating healing living spaces with mindfulness and feng shui after reading the book that title made all the sense in the world i was like yeah this is beautiful the links for the book are down in the description as well 
And what are the best ways to connect with you in terms of um, like social media, website? So you can visit me on Instagram at Angie Cho and also at Mindful Design School. And then I also have a podcast, Holistic Space, the Holistic Spaces podcast, and then also online at holisticspaces.com. Yes. Okay. So I'll make sure to put the podcast in the description too. And for anyone listening, all of these links are down in the show description, but just so you know, Angie is spelled with a J, A-N-J-I-E, Cho, C-H-O. And I'm so glad um, that over these years now, I, I think the first time speaking with you was a few years ago. It had to have been. Um, before the pandemic, right? Yeah, I think it was at the beginning, perhaps. But I'm so thankful for this connection and all of your beautiful work. I'm really excited about this book. And I thank you for taking time to come and talk about it today. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. (laughs) Bye for now, everyone. Hello, beautiful alchemist. I told you that was a good conversation, right? I've learned a lot. I've learned so much. And I want to thank Angie again for coming to share, but also for this beautiful, beautiful book that she has written called Mindful Homes. Again, the link is down in the show description. You can order your copy today. Um, If you want to learn more about Angie and her work, you can go to holisticfaces.com. And if you want to follow her on Instagram, just her handle is at Angie Cho, and that's A-N-J. I-E-C-H-O. Again, the links for everything are down in the show description. I would love to hear, especially for those of you who are Reiki practitioners, whether you're familiar with feng shui or not, I would love to hear what came up for you in this interview. Any ahas about energy, anything that really clicked for you or any of the techniques that she mentioned that you're going to try. If you get this book and try any of the many suggestions within it, I would seriously, I would love to know, but I'm sure Angie would like to know as well. So tag her with your thoughts um, on Instagram. I also want to remind you again, don't forget to download the Energetic Alchemist app so that you can learn some more from me, Reiki tools, tools to support you in your energetic alchemy and registration membership for the Alchemy Circle is open. We have already begun. So if you would like to work with me, learn from me and weekly classes, you can either activate your membership or do drop-in classes through the app. So I am so thankful that you're here. Thank you for being part of the community. As I mentioned, there is more to come this season, although we're wrapping it up, but there's so much more to come. I look forward to sharing with you and remember to always journey in love. This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. (sniffs) And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty. Ah, smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash. Hmm. 
you can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of hefty large black bags. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.